I, uh, if I were you, and I'd get one of these little groups around and sing with them. Yeah. <laughs> He's singing right there. I've been, I've done that. <laughs> I wish I could sing like that. The longer I looked at you, I just wish I could grow hair like you do, brother. I'd just be honest. Amen. <laughs> well, it's good to be back tonight. God bless you for coming back. I'm always grateful when folks come back on Sunday night. I sure am. Take your Bible and turn with me tonight, if you will, to the book of Psalm. Psalm 85, 6. Psalm 85, 6. Will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Is on the front of the bulletin this morning. Now, three words I want to highlight tonight is our message. The word thou, do you see it? I use the King James Version. How many people use the King James Version? Oh, several, yeah. Most places I go anymore, very few people use King James Version. I use the King James Version. I don't believe God wrote the King James Version, but my daddy did, and that's what he taught me. And so, out of honor to him, I still use the King James Version. Second of all, I go to places where they got out there King James only. And they think anybody else is... Uh, as a pervert or something, so I don't want to be in that classification. So I carry the King James. And third of all, I memorize all my scripture in the King James Version. So it's hard to go back and, and, and redo it. So three words that you'll see in the King James Version, if that's the kind of Bible you got. First of all, the word thou. Do you see the word thou? Will thou not revive us? Do you see the word us? Second word we're going to look at tonight. Will thou not revive us that the people may rejoice? Do you see the word rejoice? That's the third word we're going to look at tonight. So I'm going to ask you three major questions tonight. And those three major questions, I've been to Alabama before, so I'll give you the answers ahead of time. And those three major questions will be answered with those three words. You'll get it tomorrow. All right. So first of all tonight, who is the person that gives revival? Thou. That's right. The word thou. Who does that personal pronoun thou refer to? Well, it refers to God, doesn't it? Now listen, folks, do you realize this? That if we really have a real revival this week, I mean a real revival, do you realize God's the one that will be responsible for that? Are you aware of that? There's no evangelist. No evangelist on the face of this earth, including my favorite evangelist, Dr. Billy Graham. No evangelist shows up, have a little revival dust in his pocket, sticks his head in there, pulls out the revival dust and throws it out, and boom, you have revival. It don't happen that way, does it? No siree. Now, God is the person that is responsible for revival. If revival happens, it's because of God. So now then tonight, if we do not, or this week, if we do not have revival, is it God's fault? No, absolutely not. Uh, it's because we have not fit into the formula. God gives us a formula for revival. I'll share it with you later in the message. We have not fit into the formula that God gives us in order for us to have real revival. So first of all, tonight, the person that gives revival is God. Now, there are some real, I call them revival stoppers. There are some real things against us today to keep us from having revival. Are you aware of that? I mean, the devil, when he comes loaded, he comes loaded for bear, doesn't he? So I want to just share some of those things with you this, tonight. Some of what I call revival stoppers. First of all, it's what I call the rise of modernism and liberalism. Now, as I travel across America from time to time, somebody say this to me. What do you think is wrong with America? Well, I'll tell you what I think is wrong with America. I'll just be honest, folks. I believe we've got too many men and women in the pulpit today who've been called by their mothers instead of being called by God. Now, I don't know about you. I still believe that God calls men to be pastors. Don't you? I sure do. Now, and, and then, and then there, there's no conviction today about the Word of God. Uh, you've got to stand firm on the Word of God and the principles 
of the word of God. I mean, they're not evangelical, the evangelifish. They don't have a backbone. Got a cotton string for a backbone. Let me tell you what kind of pastor I'd want if I went to church. That didn't come out exactly right. I'd go to church, but I mean the kind of pastor I'd want if I was just like a member in a church. I'd want a man that'd stand in the pulpit and preach the Word of God just exactly as it is. To me, just exactly as I am, if it made me mad, sad, or glad, he'd just keep on preaching. Amen? You know what? You ought to thank God. That's the kind of pastor you got right here at this place. Now, some time ago, I used to watch, because I'm, a, I'm, I'm out uh, at night most of the time, I get my news in the morning and I'd have a little routine. I'd, I'm a runner and I'd go run in the morning. And I'd get in about, uh, I'd try to time it to be back in at seven o'clock, be back at the hotel room at seven o'clock. And I'd watch the first 30 minutes of the Today Show. Now, I'll just be honest, I don't watch the Today Show anymore. Uh, one time that weekend edition, they had, there was a woman by the name of Jenna Wolf and, 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 and her and a woman by the name of Stephanie Goss and they were in this some kind of a adventure and they were going to have a baby and I thought, man, I don't need to watch that kind of crazy stuff. So I used to watch the first 30 minutes, and then I'd turn over and watch Fox News and get the real story. But uh, uh, I, I don't do that anymore. So now then I just watch Fox News. But anyway, uh, uh, this particular morning, they were going to have these two men on. Now, they had not discovered this box, what they called the burial box, and they had not carbon tested the contents of this box. But they, after it was discovered, they got some folks a carbon test the remains in this box, and they came to the conclusion that this was the barrel box of Jesus. Well, they said, later in the program. So I watched 30 minutes, and you know how they do. Later in the program. So I watched 30 more. Later in the program. So finally, it came on. These two guys were there, and and they explained about how this box was discovered and who discovered it in in, in the Holy Land and, and, and who tested it. And they explained all that, and then they said, we've come to the conclusion that this is carries the remains of Jesus. Well, Matt Lauer was the interviewer that day. And if you ever watched the Today Show, you're going to know real quick, Matt Lauer is no Baptist preacher. But he looked at him, and here's what he said to him. I never will forget it. He said, well, what about the biblical account that Jesus rose from the dead? Now, folks, when you have a bodily resurrection... You don't leave body parts behind, you know what I mean? You don't leave a big toe or an ear or a bone. Everything goes. Well, those guys, it was just like, uh, it was just like they had rehearsed and they perhaps had. They said, well, now you gotta understand the nature of the Bible. The Bible is not a book of science and the Bible is not a book of history. The Bible is a book of faith. So you would expect the Bible to be accurate in the areas of faith but not in history and science. Well, to some degree, I agree with that. The Bible is not a book of history. It's not a book of science. But sweet friend, it doesn't make any difference what area the Bible speaks on. It is absolutely 100% accurate. First of all, today, there's the rise of modernism and liberalism, and we're ate up with it in America. Ate up with it. Second of all, the rise of false cults. It's incredible. They go with the master's method. They go two by two, but they carry with them the devil's doctrine. Now, I don't know why, but for uh, years ago, now I've been an evangelist for 20 years, but so during the time that I was a pastor, so it's been years ago, 30 years at least or longer, 
for whatever reason, we'd have this group come to our house from time to time. And, and, and I, I was getting ready to go to the hospital, make a visit. Back then, whenever preachers went to the hospital, they always wore a coat and tie. So I was back there in the bedroom and I was tying my necktie and getting ready to put my jacket on and go to the hospital that morning. And, and, and there was a knock at our door. Well, I could hear my wife talking, but I couldn't tell really what was being said. I could just tell that there were some people talking. We had one of those L-shaped halls, so I go walking down that L-shaped hall. When I get to that front door, there she is. Now, it's kind of an unusual scene. She's got that big wooden uh, door. She's got it open, and then she's got that aluminum storm door. She's got it cracked, and she's talking to these ladies through that door. Now, that's really unusual for my wife. My wife does a bed and breakfast. Next time you come to the Pigeon Forge Gatlinburg area, call me. Give you a little discount. Not much, but a little. And, uh, and, and, and so when people come to our house, you know, she opens that up, door up and invites people in. If it's mealtime, she'll invite people. I don't care what it is. She'll let me go without for a visitor, sit down and eat. So don't show up at mealtime just because I told you that. But uh, that's the way she is. But today she wasn't doing that. Well, as I go walking up there, I hear one of these ladies say this to her. Here's what she said. You ready for this? She said, there's no such place as hell. Ooh, I got my attention. And then she said, there's only going to be 144,000 in heaven. Oh, I'm not finished. And it's full. What a deal. No hell. Heaven's full. I heard about this atheist that died. And in East Tennessee, where I live, whenever someone dies, everybody comes by and views the body, and they call that receiving friends. Do you do that here? Do you call it receiving friends? Well, they call it receiving friends. And 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 we have the uh, uh, and we had the funeral then at night. Do you all have funerals here at night? Sometimes, yeah. Now, not long ago, uh, I was someplace where they didn't do funerals at night, and this guy comes up to me, looking all around behind him. He said. Uh, do you go to the cemetery at night too? I said, absolutely not. We're as scared out there as you are. We don't going to go out there at night. Well, this atheist, he was uh, in this casket and he had a soft pillow under his head as if that's important. He had a nice black suit on, nice necktie. These two guys worked with him. They weren't atheists. They just worked with him and they were going to show their respects. And one of them walked up there and said, you know, old Joe was an atheist. He didn't, he didn't believe in God and didn't believe in hell. And the guy said, I know it. He said, the other guy said, he... he he didn't believe in God, didn't believe in heaven. The first guy said, it's a shame. He's all dressed up, no place to go. Well, I, I felt a little bit like that. And so I, here's what I did. I said, well, ladies, come on in. Let's have a Bible study. They were tickled to death. That's what they were there for, to have a Bible study. They come walking in. And, and so I shut the storm door, the wooden door, the inside wooden door. I shut it, and then I did something I'd never done before. Not done it since. One time. We had one of those chain locks. I locked that door. <laughs> I said, ladies, come on in now. Let's, let's have, we're going to have prayer and then we'll have a Bible study. And so I said, dear Jesus, and the lady says, wait a minute. Well, the says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We've already prayed this morning at Kingdom Hall. Now you know who they are. Jehovah half witness. I said, well, once a day is not enough for me. We're going to pray again right now. And so I bowed my head and said, dear Jesus, thank you for these ladies. And the other lady says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We'll pray again tonight before we go to bed. I said, and we're going to pray right now. I said, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sending these ladies here today. I'm going to tell them about you and I'm going to pray they get born again. Going to leave here different than the way they come. And about that time, I heard my door go, ching, 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 ching. 
Well, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says, watch and pray. That's what I did. I watched and prayed. Had to cut my prayer short, unlock that door, let them out. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they couldn't stand it in the name of Jesus. Do you realize there's power in the name of Jesus? Whenever you begin to sing in the name of Jesus, and you pray in the name of Jesus, and you testify in the name of Jesus, and you preach in the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Say that name with me. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. There's something about that name. Well, listen. First of all tonight, there is the rise of liberalism, modernism in our day. Revival stoppers. Second of all, the rise of false cults. They're everywhere. Third of all, the rise, hang on, of materialistic America. People are so busy anymore trying to make money that they can't come to church. Isn't that a shame? We're ate up with it. When the Bible is very, very clear, the Bible says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I probably get things mixed up and we seek things instead of God, don't we? I mean, I mean, you just think about what we got. Sir, have you ever been getting ready to go someplace, a little wife's back in the bedroom, getting dressed? And all of a sudden, you hear this little feeble voice. Honey, I don't have anything to wear. Go in there and look in that closet. You couldn't shoot another dress in there with a deer rifle. I mean, that thing's packed full. And then how about us? We got more neckties. We got more neckties. We know what to do. Fourteen years ago, my wife and I moved to where we're living now. Now, my wife's the real neat one. I mean, she's the organizer. I'm not. I just go with it. But I mean, when she packs, I mean, the, the bristles on the toothbrush have to be pointing a certain direction. Not me. I just flip that thing in there. Where it lands, it lands. When I get ready to go home, she accuses me of using the car for a suitcase. If it don't fit, I just throw it in the car. Well, so when we moved 14 years ago, now, I, mean, I mean, she's the organizer. She's got everything mapped out. She knows exactly where every picture is going to hang. Everything. And so here's what she did. She said, now, Morris, I have boxed up your neckties. Now, why don't you unbox them? And that way you'll know I really only wear three or four neckties. I wear a necktie on Sunday morning. That's it. I almost never wear a necktie during the night. I'm looking around and I don't, I don't see anybody with a necktie on. And uh, so, so I only use about three or four. And so I started pulling them neckties. I couldn't, be, I couldn't believe how many neckties I had. Folks, I got neckties with every kind of imaginable print. I mean, I've got neckties that's got animals on them. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And then I've got neckties that's got plant prints on them. For 13 uh, years, I was pastor of, uh, of the same church. My youth guy got saved, and when I first went there, he got saved. I baptized him. I officiated when he and his wife got married. He had started having kids. I was there. Every one of his kids was born. I was there. I, he's, he's like my son. I don't have a son, but he's like my son. And uh, we're, we're, I mean, we're close today. He goes away on, a, I, most of the time I went with on the youth activities, I went with him. Not to watch a teenager, to watch him. He's a little wild. But uh, we go, they, they go to Oklahoma and I didn't go. He comes back in and, uh, uh, and, and he says, uh, the next staff meeting, he comes in there with a little tie box. He says, hey, pastor, I bought you a little gift. And I said, uh, 
What is, I knew what it was. What is it? Well, just open it. Well, I opened it up. It's a real pretty brown tie. I mean, it's a pretty brown tie. I don't have a lot of brown ties. I don't have a lot of brown uh, suits or jackets. And, and, and so, but man, that, 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 that thing is nice. I said, well, thanks, Gary. So the next time I wore that brown, I think it was the next Sunday, I got my brown suit out, got that little brown tie on. I was looking in the mirror and tying that baby. Now listen, I have got excellent vision out there, but I don't have good vision at all right here. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so I, I put that tie on, and I seen a little green something on that necktie. I thought, what is that? So I went and got my, neck, I went and got my glasses. Put my glass on. It was a marijuana plant. <laughs> he bought me a necktie with a marijuana plant on it. Every time I wore that necktie, I had to button up my jacket to the Adam's apple to hide that marijuana. And, and then I got different widths. You got different widths, ties, Pat. I got the narrow, you got the narrow ties, and then you got the wides. Now listen, I've had some wide ties in my life, but my dad. He really had a wide, he gave him this big old wide tie. And let me tell you how wide this tie is. I can tie the necktie and put my jacket on and I don't even have to wear a shirt. Now that is a wide <laughs> necktie. We've got clothes and we got food and we got cars and we got everything under the sun. I never will forget one, one Sunday evening. I was getting ready to preach in Jamaica. And it was a little old church way out in the middle of nowhere, way up there in the mountains where they grow that uh, Blue Mountain coffee. Anybody here ever drink in that Blue Mountain coffee? Well, that's good. I'm a Christian, too. I don't drink coffee either. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> I get ready to preach that night, and this little lady stood up, and here's what she said. She said, we're so fortunate here in Jamaica, so blessed, as you were talking about being blessed. She said, we're so blessed. Most of us have had something to eat today. Now, she wasn't talking about three meals and a snack. She's talking about something to eat all day long. Folks, you know what? If we're not careful, we are eaten up with materialism. Do you know our next president that we elect probably be elected because of the economy? It sure won't be honesty and integrity, will it? <laughs> no. no, it won't be on character. Now listen, folks, listen. But you know... The materialistic American is not going to stop revival. And do you realize the liberal is not going to stop revival? And do you realize the false cultists are not going to stop? They're not going to affect us this week. But let me tell you what stopped revival. About three years ago, everywhere I'd go, I'd ask the pastor this question. I'd say, Pastor, what is the biggest hurdle you face in reaching people and growing a church? And almost without exception, here's what they'd tell me. Almost every pastor said this. It is the indifferent, cold child of God. Do you know what, folks? You know what disturbs me? It seems like nobody cares anymore. It does. It seems like nobody cares. I was pastor of a church at 3,500 members. I made a great salary. I mean, I'd be embarrassed to tell you how much they paid me. I really would. I resigned that because I wanted to see revival across America. Listen, I was in a great church. When I, when I resigned, I, <clears throat> two or three days before I resigned, I hadn't told anybody. Two or three days before I resigned, I was with a guy, one of the deacons in the church. He was also a chaplain of penitentiary in Kentucky. And uh, 
I had just preached revival in this prison. We had 65 inmates to get saved. And, and well, they never had anybody get saved. And he wanted me to come back the next year. And, and I was already putting my schedule together because I knew I was going into evangelism. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, well, I can't do it. I said, I, I, I just can't do it. He said, why not? Well, he kept pressuring me. Finally, I told him, I said, now listen, if I tell you, you keep it to yourself? He said, sure. I said, confidential, confidential. I said, I'm resigning Sunday. I'm going to evangelism. He didn't have any trouble keeping it. It's the hundred people he told. They had the problem keeping it to themselves. I got there, them deacons were there, and I mean, they were out in my office, out in, out, out, out in the hall, saying, Pastor, we just believe it's God's will for you to stay, be our pastor. Well, they finally, they finally pressured me to, to saying that I would wait and pray. Well, as soon as they left, I prayed and walked out there and resigned because that's what God called me to do. So I, it, it's not because I got caught in immorality or got caught stealing. God called me to be an evangelist. And so that's what I do. And it troubles me. I mean, these are days where you can see great revivals. I saw last week, last week, just beyond the age of 65. I'm not talking about everybody else. But just beyond the age of 65, I saw 10 people saved last week. Beyond the age of 65. I mean, the little church got fired up and they went out there and got people, brought them in and they got saved. Old people. Well, excuse me. Senior adult people, not old people. Ooh, that hurts a love offering. Amen. Yeah. Folks, listen, it can happen in this day. Are you aware of that? But you got to get excited about it. I mean, you got to get on fire for the things of God. First of all, first of all, the person who gives revival, who is it? God. Second of all, the people who need revival, who's that? Us. That's exactly right, us. Go home and look in the mirror. That person needs revival. You say, I don't, I don't need revival. Then you need revival perhaps more than anybody else. Do you know the worst form of coldness and indifferent is to not even realize you're cold and indifferent? That church over in the book of Revelation. They, they weren't either hot or cold. They just got indifferent. They just got lukewarm. And you know what God said? It makes me sick at my stomach. I'll spew them out of my mouth. Now, folks, listen to me. The people that need revivals, us. How do we have revival? I'm going to give you the formula right now. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people. Where does it start? It starts with God's people. Now, let me tell you where we want it to start. Here's where we want it to start. We want it to start in the White House. Well, if Obama would get right with God, we'd have revival in the land. That's not what God says. Well, if Hillary or Donald... If they get right with God, we'd have revival. That's not what God says. It don't start at the White House. It starts at God's house. It starts with us, folks. We're the ones that's got to get on fire for the things of God. We're the ones that's got to, one more time, put God in our, in our first priority. Put Him in first place in our life. If my people, which are called by my name, now notice this, will humble themselves. There's not going to be any peacocks. Strutting around in heaven, singing Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. No, sir, friend, if you're going to go to heaven and you're going to make a difference on earth while you're here, you're going to have to do it God's way. If my people, which are called by my name, shall love themselves and pray. Now watch this. And seek my face. So much of the time, if we're not careful, we're seeking the hand of God. God, it's Jimmy, and I want another gimme. No. Seek the face of God. Now, face in the Bible means person. So now then, when you're really seeking the face of God, when God's people 
are praying and seeking God's face, here's what that means. You're seeking an intimate fellowship with God. When you get saved, you enter into a relationship, but that fellowship can be broken. So now then, you're entering into that fellowship, that intimate fellowship with God. Sam Jones, that old Methodist evangelist from yesteryear, used to say this. He said, the way to have revival is draw a circle and get inside that circle and stay there till everybody inside the circle gets revived. If my people which are called my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Listen, listen, to what the, listen to what the Bible says. Then. It's a conditional promise. If. Then. Then I'll hear their prayer. Then I'll forgive their sins. Then I will heal their land. In other words, revival. Revival. Now then, the person who gives revival, who is it? God. The people who need revival, who's that? Us. Well, what is the product that comes from revival? I gave you the answer. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Do you know the product of revival? It's rejoicing. You know, when I come to, when I come to church, I come to celebrate. I come to have a good time. Man, if you don't want to have a good time, stay home. Not long ago, not long ago, on a Monday night of revival, this guy comes up to me. I think you tell too many funny stories. I said, well, buddy, I'm only going to be here through Wednesday night. Stay home. Yeah, you're going to be offended. Stay home. Not going to cramp my stall, are you? No, sir, I'm going to celebrate. Now, I'm not going to tell you where the church is. Uh, it's a long ways from here, but I've learned that don't make any difference where you're at. Somebody's connected to somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. But I was in a, in a, in a, in a, in a First Baptist church in another town. There was, uh, they had, they had, uh, 2,000 people there that Sunday morning. When I got there, the pastor wanted me to go in his office. And I went in the office. It was like going to the principal's office. I'm sitting there and he gives me this card. On one side of this card, here's what it said. It said, things to do when sitting on the platform. On the back side of that card, it was things not to do when sitting on the platform. Number one, don't cross your legs. Number two, don't chew gum. I mean, it's down the list. And then, it, uh, th- and then there were some things to do. Look at the speaker or singer. Smile. Be attentive. Don't go to sleep. I mean, it was all on these cards. And so, I mean, they had a big old staff. And so they had 250 in the choir. Never will forget, they had 250 in the choir. That's how many seats they had and every seat was full. And so we come marching out. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm next to the pastor. The rest of the staff, I mean, there's a bunch of them. So here we come, marching out. Now, I'm going to stay in step. I'm not going to mess up. I come in here, and when the pastor gets to his seat, he turns around like this. I get to my seat, I turn around like this. So I'm watching the pastor, because when he sits down, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to mess up. So he sits down, I sit down. All right. You talking about a dead service. Ooh, that thing was dead. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, dear Lord, don't let me die in this dead place. You, you, now, you, the most exciting thing that happened so far, a handbell performed. Can you imagine the most exciting thing of church being ding-dong, ding-dong, ding-dong? Yeah. 
The pastor got up that, that, that Sunday morning and, and, and he welcomed the people and then he quoted a passage of scripture in Greek. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm dying. And, and, and the music worship leader, David, this kills me. We're singing everything real slow. And he's holding it way out there. And then he says, now in the next verse, we're going to slow it down. <laughs> we're crawling. We're crawling. And he's going to slow it down. I like it upbeat. I like it fast. Well, I, there was a special music that I'm going to preach. I'm thinking to myself, oh, Lord, help me. You know, if folks, really, there are times that I have to pray, Lord, keep me in the right spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? The other day, this group sung. Started at, started at 1030. They sung until a quarter to 12. I'm praying, Lord, don't let me get in the flesh. Don't let me get in the flesh. Let me have the right spirit. Well, I'm there. I'm praying, oh, Lord, Lord, pick up my spirit. They're killing me here. Well, there's this lady going to sing. And she gets up there. Now, listen. She opened her mouth. Ooh, Pat, is about like you say. I mean, she had a trained voice. It was obvious. But the Spirit of God was all over that little woman. Man, she sung. Boy, did she ever pick up my spirit. I'm sitting over there and thinking, thank you, Jesus. There is life in this place. Thank you, Lord. She got through singing. I do what I always do. Here's what I always do. When somebody sings, I'm blessed, I do two things. I always say a hearty, amen. And second of all, I clap my hands. She got through singing. I said, Amen. 1,999 people sitting there watching me clap my hand. <laughs> Took a little of the enthusiasm out of my applause. Do you know what I'm saying? I wanted to point to the pastor and say, it was him. It wasn't me, it was him. I never will forget what he did. Here's what he did. He goes, here's what he does. He goes, puts his arm around me. He goes in that real deep voice. Morris. I knew I would messed up. I said, yes, sir. He said, we don't clap our hands here. We don't want anybody to think we're charismatic. <laughs> Look up here at me, folks. What nobody going to think that church was charismatic. <laughs> and then he said, we don't want to go off in the deep end. They hadn't even got close to the bank, let alone go off on the deep end. I want to tell you something, folks. My Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And because he lives, I can celebrate. Now, let me tell you this story. I'm done. I was up in Mossheim, Tennessee. How many has ever been to Mossheim, Tennessee? And you won't go there on your next vacation. I can promise you that right now. Let me describe Brown Springs Baptist Church, Mossheim, Tennessee. Let me, des- let me describe the church to you. There's a... There's not, just, just, just imagine this center, this center row gone. And the pews were just about the long, about the length of these pews. Only thing was, they were attached to the wall on both sides. There's one aisle down the center. The floor was, it wasn't sloped, it was steep. You walked out of the pew and you looked to the altar, gravity pulled you to the altar. My good friend, Dr. Mark Hearn, now that was before he became doctor. 
He wasn't even a nurse back then. It was just Pastor Hearn. He's a pastor. All right. Steep floor, one pew. One, 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 one aisle. The Baptist, there was no choir. There was uh, two or three little pews that were pointing this way. I bet you've sung in some places where the little pews are pointing this way. That's where the little choir, whenever they had one, would sing. The pastor wanted me to start on Wednesday night. So he started on Wednesday night through Sunday night. It's a little tough getting things going on Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? Well, I started on Wednesday night. And uh, Sunday morning before we start on Wednesday night, he resigned. Yeah, that helps your revival. That really helps the revival. Well, so here we go. Wednesday night, I preach. And yeah, there was a pretty good little crowd. Now I say pretty good little crowd. It was a small, small place. And I, I, I preached and gave the invitation that night. And I just happened to be looking at the back, on the back pew. A man came out of that pew. And when he came out of it, he stepped and he slung himself around like this. And he'd walk and he would drag it right side. Slow. He'd grab another pew, drag it right side. All the way to the front. Now, I'm thinking he's coming to get saved. Now, i just be honest, folks. This, just, this happens, and I rejoice, and I just love it. When somebody with any kind of a physical affliction, when they come to, I've seen them come in, on crutches and wheelchairs. And I've seen them carry people down to the front. And they come like that. Man, it just, bless, it just blesses me, brother. I mean, I'm just blessed, Pastor. Well, I'm thinking he's coming to get saved. He's dragging himself down there, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord. This guy's coming to get saved. Well, he wasn't. He was already saved. He was coming to pray for his wife. And at the close of the service, uh, Pastor Hearn said, this is Paul. And Paul, by the way, by the way, when he was born, he had nerve damage and left him with paralysis on his right side. His brother, born two years later, the same thing happened to him. He had paralysis on his right side. It comes from the back all the way to the front. And, uh, and there, was, there was no this, no stage. I just preached on, I like preaching down here anyway. And the baptistry, they had a baptistry, and it was right behind. I mean, right behind. I had to be careful. I'd baptize myself. And uh, so here he comes. And at the close of service, the pastor, we had several say, four, five say. And Pastor Hearn said, this is uh, Paul. Paul's got something to say. And, and his, his his face is all drawn. And he said, pray for my wife. She's lost. Needs to be saved. Well, Pastor Hearn said, how many people pray? Oh, everybody raised their hand. Yeah, they pray for her. And that was Wednesday night. Thursday night, I preached, gave the invitation. And sure enough, here he comes again, dragging himself down there. Same thing. Pray for my wife. She's lost. Needs to be saved. Friday night, same thing. Saturday night, same thing. I almost told him. I almost told him on Saturday night. Now, Paul, if you're going to come in the morning, start down here. And that way you won't have so far to come. But I didn't. Sunday morning, here he comes. Same thing. Pray for my wife. She's lost. Needs to be saved. Sunday night, last service. Last service. And so I give the invitation. And, and, uh, and, and the pastor, I always had the pastor to come and stand with his back to the, to the congregation. And that way when people come, they can just come stand beside the pastor. And that way they're not facing people. And it just works out well. It's called a crusade-style invitation. Billy Graham is the guy that perfected that. But anyway, uh, so I, uh, 
uh, give the invitation. Now, now I'm watching because I started expecting him to come every service. And I was never disappointed to come every service. And so as soon as I gave the invitation, I'm looking right at him. Sure enough, out he drags, drag, drug himself out. Now, when he got out there into the aisle, there was a lady that had her hand on his arm like this. Now, I'm watching, I'm watching, and I don't know how this happened. And I'm watching it. I just, it just, that quick. But she turned him loose, because he, I mean, he's slow. She turned him loose. And when she did, th- that old steep floor, she got overbalanced. And her body got out in front of her legs. And she was, she wasn't a skinny woman. So now then, her body's out in front of her legs. Her legs are trying to catch up to her body. The faster her legs would go, the faster her body would go, and she couldn't get her legs underneath her body. Here she's coming wide open. There's the pastor. There's the baptistry. I'm thinking, she's going to baptize all of us. I felt led of the Lord to move over here. I started to say, Pastor, look out. He was praying with a little skinny woman. I guess, I don't know if he felt her coming or what, but he turned around. I never will forget the look on his face. Reminded me of the man that ran over the cat. He went up to the farmer's house and knocked on the farmer's door. He said, Mr. Farmer, I think I ran over your cat. The farmer said, what did the cat look like? He goes, farmer said, no, what did it look like before you read over him? He goes, that's the way the pastor looked. I'm thinking, get out of the way, the water will slow her down. Get out of the way. He looked like an Alabama linebacker. He gets in a three-point stance. When that woman comes in there, he raises up and tries to catch her. What a mistake. She hit him and put her arms around him. And she rolled him over about three times. And then you could hear that lady cry out. Oh, dear God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sins. Come alive and save me. And it was like somebody put up a sign. Everybody run forward. Everybody ran forward. Everybody. I don't know why. But everybody, boom. I mean, they're running down here. And there's some folks shouting. There's some folks crying. Several laughing. Everybody rejoiced. That's what it's all about, David. It's about coming to God's house and enjoying yourself. And so when a visitor's come, you know what they do? Hey, them folks like this stuff. And it won't be long till they'll be liking this stuff. Now, folks, let's start a revival this week in America. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. America, isn't that a little too big? Well, then let's, look, let's just kind of come down here to Alabama. Alabama, all right. Oxford. Oxford. You don't know anything about Oxford. You're right, I don't. Meadowbrook. Man, you don't know anything about this church. You're right, I don't. So let's have revival in your family. You say, you don't know what's going on in my family. You're right, I don't. So could we start revival tonight 
in your heart and in mine. Somebody told me twice today, this morning, before the service, somebody, and after service. Boy, I hope we see a revival this week. It just spreads out. There was a man talking that. Who was that? Who was that man? There he is back there in the back. What's your first name, sir? Leroy. I prayed, Lord. Of course, I didn't know his name. I said, whatever that man's name is. Lord, let it happen this week. And folks, I want to see it happen this week, don't you? But you know where it's got to start? It's got to start with us. It's got to start with us. That's the people that need revival. It's us. You know, and, and, and you know, the thing about revival is something you can't teach revival. I went to seminary. And the pastor went, he's got enough degrees to qualify as a thermometer. But they don't teach you how to have revival because you can't teach revival. It's not taught, it's caught. Somebody gets on fire and somebody else catches it. And somebody else catches it. And somebody says, well, I can bring my neighbor. I can bring my friend. I can bring the teenager I go to school with. I can bring my, my grandchildren. Or I can bring my grandchildren's neighbor. Or I can work a little harder on the bus and bring a few more on the bus. And you know what happens? All of a sudden, all of a sudden it kind of builds together. And the first thing you know, people come to know Christ. And the church gets on fire. And the church rejoices. Yeah. And it all begins with just one or two people. On fire for the things of God. Would you do not say this? Lord, let there be revival. And let it begin with me. Now, here's the big thing tonight. Here's the big thing. Do you know Jesus is your Savior? Oh, what a joy to see those two ladies come this morning. Give their life to Christ. That blessed me. That blessed me. And one of the ladies, Pastor Tell me from Indiana. Coming. Got saved. You know, every once in a while I'll go someplace and somebody from some place way away and come and get saved. And I said, Lord, boy, that's you. <laughs> Ain't nobody can put that together except you. So tonight, if you've never been born again, here's how it happens. First of all, you've got to realize you're a sinner. Guess what? That's all of us. That's you. That's me. That's you. That's me. That's you. That's me. Second of all, you've got to believe in your heart. Jesus lived, died, buried, and rose from dead. You believe that, you wouldn't be here on Sunday night. You'd be someplace else. And then third of all tonight, if you'd be willing to turn from your sins. The Bible calls that repentance. Remember from this morning? And then if you'd be willing to pray and ask Christ into your life. A prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Forgive me my sins. Come into my life and save me. Guess what, folks? When you pray that simple little prayer, guess what? That prayer moves the hand of God. And that prayer that moves the hand of God invites, you invite Jesus in your life. Now guess what, boy? It gets good. It really gets good. The old country guy in East Tennessee said it gets gooder and gooder. Not only does Jesus come in your life, but God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Now listen, when God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit come in your life, there is some changes made in your life. So tonight, we're going to bow our head in just a second. When we do, I'm going to lead you in that prayer. It's not a prayer of rededication. It's not a prayer of recommitment. It's not a prayer to join the church. It's not a prayer to get baptized. It is a prayer to be saved. I want to be clear. Don't want anybody to be confused. It is a prayer to be saved. If you'd like to pray that prayer to be saved, bow your head with me right now. All over the building, everybody, everywhere, bow your head. Bow your head. 
pray this prayer after me. I'll pray out loud and you pray silently. Pray, dear Jesus. That's right. Pray, dear Jesus. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. Thank you for dying for me. Now help me to live for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer just then to get saved, if you prayed that prayer just then to be born again, and you meant it, not ashamed of it, nobody looking around, just between you and I and the Father, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand right where you're sitting? Yes, I prayed that prayer. Raise it up. Raise your hand up. Raise it high. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody, yes. Thank you. Somebody else? Someone else? Now, oftentimes in a service just like this, there are those who will pray. They'll invite Christ into their life, but for whatever reason, and they mean it, and they're sincere, and they mean it, but for whatever reason, they choose not to raise their hand. Well, sometimes then they think, well, now God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you over that. I tell you, sometimes we put guilt on people when we ought to be trying to put faith in their heart. No, God's not mad at you. But now listen, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Everybody in the building, everybody in the building that prayed that prayer to be saved, if you raise your hand or you didn't raise your hand, it doesn't matter now. But everybody in the building that prayed to invite Christ in their life, right now, I want you just to look up here at me. Sir, you that raised your hand, look right up here at me. Ma'am, raise your hand, look right up here at me. Did you pray that prayer, ma'am? Did you mean it? Wonderful, wonderful. Just keep looking up here at me. I want to say something else to you in just a moment. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? Did you pray that prayer in the back? Wonderful. Keep looking right up here at me. Keep looking right up here at me. Did you pray that prayer, ma'am? Did you? Great. All right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All over the building. Ma'am, I'm going to ask you. You're probably the farthest away. Sir, who raised your hand earlier, I'm going to ask you. Back over here in the middle, back over here. Everyone, in just a moment, we stand our feet and sing. I'm going to ask you to leave where you'll be standing. The pastor will be here in the front, stand facing me. I'm going to ask you to leave where you'll be standing. And come and stand beside the pastor. You say, well, what happens when I get there? Are you going to embarrass me? No, not at all. I'm not here to embarrass you or anybody else. But I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to pray with you and for you. So when you leave tonight, you're going to know that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Will you do that tonight? Will you do that? Come stand beside our pastor. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Everyone else. Father, thank you. For those who indicated tonight, they prayed to give their life to you. And Lord, as you say, Those that will not be ashamed of you before man, you'll not be ashamed of before the Father. Oh, dear Jesus, I don't want you ashamed of me. I know I've at times let you down, but I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Or anybody else in this building, I don't want you to be ashamed of anybody. So, dear sweet Holy Spirit, make a holy visitation on each pew with each person. Those that have not been saved, help them to step out tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.